Our gospel lesson today is taken from the gospel according to Matthew chapter 8, verses 14 through 17. When Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her, and she got up and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were possessed by demons, and he cast out the spirit with a word, and he cured all who were sick. This was to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took our infirmities and bore our diseases. May God bless the reading of the word. Well, happy Mother's Day. And I want to say personally, thank you for those of you who have said happy Mother's Day to me too. Um, if you haven't heard, Mike and I are expecting a baby. We're almost halfway, so it's very exciting. Um, definitely feel this year different than I have in the past. And on top of that, preparing for a baby in October, um, we also bought a house. So we've had a lot going on in our home lately. Um, We closed on a house at the beginning of April, and we moved in officially last Friday with the help of family and very, very good friends. And so we've spent all of our free time painting, unpacking boxes, moving stuff. See, the problem when you move from one city to the same city is you feel like you can move stuff slowly. Well, we've been doing that, getting everything over to the new house. Um, So I've been a little tired with those two things happening at the same time, growing a human and trying to get settled into a new house. So I was exceptionally happy this week when I looked at my calendar and saw that we had a clergy district-wide meeting last Monday night Normally, I'm not super excited for clergy meetings, but I couldn't work on the house, you know? I had to take a break, so that was nice. And on top of that, it was at the original Oyster House. And I don't know about you, but growing up, any time we went to eat at a restaurant on the Causeway or the Bayway, it felt like a special occasion. You know, with the water, and we would always look out and try to see alligators while we ate. It was just always a really fun time. So while we were there on Monday, I thought back to my first experience at the original Oyster House. It was a Saturday night in the year 2000. My family had just moved to Baldwin County, and we had met up with some cousins and aunts and uncles. They were actually expecting a baby, so the mom was in the hospital, you know, preparing to have the baby, and the rest of us were having dinner while we waited until the time got a little closer. And so we had to wait a while for the table because it was a big party. So as we waited, some of the adults took we kids down to play on the playground outside. And so there were several of us out there, but me and my cousin Morgan were both around six. And we were doing everything we could out there. We had swung, we had climbed, we had raced, and then it came time for the monkey bars. And I can be a little competitive, you know, when I feel like I can win something. So... When it came to the monkey bars, she wisely got nervous because neither of us had ever done monkey bars before. And she said, I think I'm going to let you go first. I was like, sure, yeah, I'll go first. So I fell off the monkey bars and broke my arm in two places, joining the new baby in the hospital, you know, had to get a cast on. And so my first day at Rosenton Elementary School, I had on a bright purple cast. And that was my first memory at the Oyster House. But that was not my first broken bone. My first broken bone happened the year before, in the fifth year of my life, and it happened on a Sunday morning during the church service. The children had been released to go to children's church, 
And we were being contained in a Sunday school classroom, learning about Jesus, doing arts and crafts, you know, all the things you do during children's church. But towards the end of the hour, we had a bit of time to spare, and I'm guessing some energy that needed to be burned off. So the teacher decided we would go and play on the playground. So she had us say, go and line up at the door. Well, I, being the good pastor's daughter that I was, wanted to be first in line to leave. So I ran to the door, and I put my hands in front of the door so nobody could get in front of me, and I put my fingers around the door in the hinges on this side and on the opening on this side. And so I was first, but when she closed the door, my left, the tip of my left middle finger almost all the way came off. Like you could see the bone. It was very gory. So my teacher scooped me up and took me to my parents who were in a worship service. You know, my dad was the preacher. So, um, you know, I don't know what he must have been thinking. Again, that's a horrific scene to think about. But um, we went to the hospital, and I got a splint on. And then, you know, I started kindergarten with a splint on my hand. Between the ages of 5 and 16, I broke six or seven bones. I tried to count, but you kind of lose track after a while. I don't know if I was reckless or clumsy or maybe both, but I spent many months in cast and in splints and using crutches and even one of those little rolly things for a while. But the thing about a broken bone, at least when you're young, is that you have a story to tell. Even if the story is not very glamorous or it makes you look like an inpatient child ready to leave children's church, at least you have a story to tell, how you got the cast, how you got the splint, how long you have to be on crutches. But the need for healing is not always so obvious. We are in week five of this sermon series, all about humanity's healing. And we have considered four different healing accounts leading up to today. And we've seen in these, these accounts that the need for healing is just as varied as Jesus' techniques for healing humanity. Today's selection of scripture is entitled, Jesus Heals Many at Peter's House. So the first healing that we see about is the healing of Peter's mother-in-law. Now, interestingly, we are not told how long she had been sick, the seriousness of the illness, how Jesus knew she was sick. All we know is that in this one gospel, Peter's mother-in-law gets one whole sentence dedicated to her healing. All it says is that Jesus, when he came into the house, he saw her, he touched her hand, and immediately she was healed. In the Jewish tradition, to touch an unclean person would make the, un the clean person also unclean. But we see in the story that that doesn't happen. When Jesus reaches out his hand and he touches Peter's mother-in-law, who has a fever, Suddenly, she is made completely whole again. Not only does the fever leave her, but it seems like all of the symptoms of being sick for an unspecified amount of time have left her as well. She stands up, and it says she begins to serve him immediately. The next healings in this passage are not numbered. It just says that that evening, the crowds brought to Jesus many who were possessed by demons that were sick, and that Jesus cast out spirits and cured those who were sick. I think back to the first week of this series when I told you all about one of my favorite verses at the end of the Gospel of John that says, 
If every miracle Jesus performed were written in a book, there would not be enough room in the whole world for the books that would be written. And I think about that when I read passages like this, just three verses about many were healed at Jesus' house. I mean, what happened in that house that night? But let's take a step back for a minute and think about this. In our world, in the human realm, healing always takes time. Ask anybody who has had surgery, who has had COVID, who has broken a bone, and they will tell you that healing is not something you can will to happen yourself. You can't hard work yourself into healing something serious like that. And this is with the help of people who have dedicated their lives to health and healing. Within this congregation, we probably have a dozen doctors and nurses who have spent countless years learning about the human body. And there are many in this room who have dedicated their lives and their studies to learning about very specific parts of the human body because it is so complex. There are so many things that can go wrong. But by God's help, by your long, studious hours and your clinicals, you are able to provide healing for people through the advances in technology, through medicine, and through God's work through you. And beyond the physical realm, we have at least a half dozen therapists in this congregation who have dedicated years upon years of their life to trying to understand the human mind. They have done classes, they have done clinicals, they have been under supervision, all in an effort to help us understand why we think the way we think, and how we can cope better in adversity. And once again, by the help of God, and insight, and patience, and hard work, mental health therapists are able to provide support and care. And yet, in this account with Jesus, the healing that Jesus gives is immediate. There's no need for medicine, or doctors, or therapists, or physical therapy after the healing takes place. And the healing is not only for physical ailments in this story. Jesus restores these people to help physically, mentally, and spiritually. Matthew wants us to know, and Matthew wants this to be very clear, that Jesus is not putting on an act for these people. Jesus is not a magician who can make things appear to be one way when they're really another. No, Jesus is one with the divine who has brought this kind of divine healing that we could never bring for ourselves. And then at the end of the passage, Matthew says something else really interesting. He says that Jesus did all of this to fulfill what had been written through the prophet Isaiah. He took our infirmities and bore our diseases. This line comes from a larger prophecy in Isaiah 52 and 53 that talks all about one day when God will send this servant leader who will come down to earth to bear our transgressions, and by his wounds we will be healed. Many prophets proclaimed a similar word about this servant leader that one day would come, this person that everyone had been hoping for. But Isaiah tells us that this person who is coming, it's more than about saving us from our sin. It's more than just a spiritual healing. This servant leader, who we know to be Jesus, is, has come to take our infirmities and to bear our diseases. 
So we read this passage as Easter people, and we can't help but put the puzzle pieces together. We might think back all the way to the Advent and Christmas season when we celebrated the incarnation, that God sent Jesus in the form of a baby to live and dwell on earth, that the God of the universe took on flesh to come and dwell among us that we might have eternal life. Then we fast forward and we think about all these healing stories, the miracles, the life, the teaching, the example of Jesus before his betrayal and crucifixion. So when we consider all of this, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we can begin to understand what it means that he took on our infirmities and he bears our diseases. This began long before even the angel Gabriel came to Mary and told her that she was going to conceive a holy child. Because in that moment, Jesus was already lowering himself from the heights of heaven to live within a human being. Jesus lived in a full human body, experienced the whole weight of the human struggle. Jesus willingly took on suffering so that we could be saved from our brokenness. I mean, this is a love. Sorry, Siri. This is a love like no other. The love of a God who would send his only son to earth so that we could have a chance to be made whole. The love of God who would lay down his life for the sake of our healing, our physical healing, our emotional healing, our spiritual healing. This healing must have come as an unexpected gift to those who received it that day at Peter's mother-in-law's house, and also to those of us today who receive this healing. While Jesus is no longer walking and talking on this earth, the healing power of God is still at work. God works through healthcare workers, God works through therapists, God works through musicians and teachers and coaches and stay-at-home parents and youth leaders. God works through any and all willing vessels who are willing to proclaim the truth that God's power is still here, still working to redeem and reconcile all of creation. On such a big Sunday, on Senior Sunday, I can't help but think about how life is about to change so much for all of these seniors who are here today. In a few weeks or months, you'll pack up all the things that are important to you, and you will scatter across the Southeast. You'll hear in a moment where they're going, but they're going from the University of Virginia all the way to Mississippi State, and a lot are going to Alabama, and you'll hear about that. But you are all about to be surrounded by new people, new ideas, new places. I mean, and all of us who have been through this milestone know how huge this moment is. I'm sure people keep asking you what you're going to major in, what are you going to do with your life, what are you going to do after college, and you probably want to say, I haven't even graduated yet. Like, I have no idea. I haven't even reached that next step. But people keep asking you this because it is such a life-changing moment that you are in right now. Amid all of the excitement, it's also only human to feel a little nervous or maybe even anxious about all of these changes that are coming up. Learning the ropes of college, a class schedule, the social expectations, on top of being away from family, and everything that's familiar to you for the first time can be daunting. 
But in those moments when you begin to feel anxious or afraid, I want you to remember a day like today when you are surrounded by family and friends who have loved you, who have raised you, and who will be celebrating you from afar. And even beyond your biological family, I want you to think about all these people who have your back, who are behind you right now supporting you, and to remember all the ways you have encountered God in this space. During the 10 o'clock hour, there was a brunch for them and their families, and Leanne put together a slideshow. And what was amazing about the slideshow is you could see pictures of these seniors from the time that they were baptized here until the very last retreat they went on in 2023 in January. There are pictures of them getting their third grade Bibles, being confirmed at VBS and Christmas plays, being acolytes, going to Blue Lake, singing in the children's choir, playing in the Ascension Band, youth Christmas parties, and more. And although some of you have not been a part of Ashland Place for that entire time, the truth remains for all of you seniors and for all of us who may be in some new season of life. The same God who has been with you in all of your growing up will be with you as you begin this next adventure. The same God who sent his son to be Emmanuel, God with us, is with you now in whatever season you find yourself in. So no matter what happens today or tomorrow or over the next four years, I want you to know that there will never be any brokenness, any sickness, any disease, anything at all, physical, mental, or spiritual, that could separate you from the love of God. And I know this because it says this in the Bible. Paul says this in Romans chapter 8. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The love of God through Christ Jesus has come to bring healing and wholeness to all of creation. May this knowledge bring you peace and comfort this day. In the name of God, our creator, redeemer, and sustainer. Amen.